We ready? All right, looks like we got the camera up. It's in here. There's one last thing I did. Our reading this morning is Proverbs, Proverbs 25. I decided to take the post this morning. Command presence. I mean, the initiative. Proverbs 25? Proverbs 25. Unless Linda wants to take it. It's called initiative. All right. We start with verse 1 here. These also are Proverbs of Solomon that the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of king is to search out a matter. As the heavens for a height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the drought from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the smith. Take away the wicked before the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of great men for it is better that it be said to you come up here than for you to place uh, to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end? When your neighbor humiliates you, argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of another. Or he who hears, it will, it will approach you, reproach you, and the evil report about you will not pass away. Like apples of gold in Settings of silver is the word spoken in the right circumstances, like an earring of gold, and the ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to the listener's ear, like the cold of snow in the time of harvest, is a faithful messenger in those who send him, and he refreshes the soul of his master. Like clouds of wind without rain, is the man who boasts of his gifts falsely. By forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue breaks the bone. Have you found honey? Eat only what is what you need, that you not have it in excess and vomit it. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, or he will become weary of you and hate you. Like a club. And a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against a neighbor. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in the faithless man in time of trouble. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. If your enemy is hungry... Give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue and an angry countenance. It is better to live in a corner on a roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Like a 
trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Our opening hymn this morning will be um, Revive Us Again, 295. Let's Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day and all you many blessings. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. The very foundation of our lives. The very foundation of our spiritual life. I pray, Heavenly Father, with the Holy Spirit this morning, illuminate us in your word. Teach us those things that we may not know. Review those things that we do know. And with all of it, Heavenly Father, let us build Build within us the fortification of your word that sanctifies our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Our opening text this morning, we're going to come to Romans uh, Romans 7. You can find Romans 7. We'll, uh, we'll finish with Hebrews chapter 6. 
And as you turn to Hebrews, uh, or as you turn to Romans 7, one or the other, I'll read 6. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press to the maturity, press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instructions about washing and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repent since they again crucify themselves, the Son of God, and put him to open shame. For the ground drinks the rain and often falls on it. And bring forth vegetation useful to those uh, whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if he yields thorn, if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. And this is the word of the Lord. And we're turning now to Romans seven. And um, last week we last week we talked about the apostolic the the apostolic age. And that might be new to some of you or the idea, what is the apostolic age? I did have a little bit of a problem pronouncing that earlier, and I practiced all week. Apostolic, okay. <laughs> it finally came to me. Apostolic age is that age that we find in Acts is the fact, um, is the, the time of the laying of the foundation of the church. New things have come, old things have passed away. New things have come. The church age had begun on the, in the day of Pentecost. There were 12 disciples, including Matthias, which in, in chapter 2, he had been both, he had been brought in by choosing of lots. So he is the 12th disciple, and later on, another disciple will be, or another apostle will be brought in, is the apostle Paul. Paul will be the apostle to the Gentiles. In this era, there would be, there would be um, the what we call uh, miracles. There would be the speaking in tongues. There would be miraculous, um, miraculous healings. These, all these miraculous gifts, were to bring, uh, were the credentials of the apostles. And that in this age, in this age which died out when, the, when these apostles died out. When the last apostle died, and that was John, then it was um, these, these gifts went with them. See, once again, these gifts was, a, was credentials. How would these people believe them? They're giving them something new. But when they saw these gifts, when they saw these miraculous things, they knew they were from God. Do we have them in that age? I won't limit God from doing, from doing miracles. I will not say that uh, miracles do not happen. But not in the fashion that we see in Acts where the apostles were, uh, the apostles were laying their hands on people, healing. And also in this age, we spoke of last week of the fact that there were actually, um, three types of believers. Two types, three types. Um, there were the uh, well. Let's count them as we go along. 
the first of all, you had the Old Testament believers. They looked forward to the cross. They looked forward to redemption. They looked forward to the promises of God coming uh, coming to fruition. Okay, they, so they looked. We might say they looked for, though they didn't know or could not define the cross. They looked forward to the cross. They worked forward to that that uh, the redemption or the payment of sin. However, it was going to come, the forgiveness of sins. Then. <clears throat> With the coming of Pentecost, then a new breed of believers came in. So going side by side, there were two types of believers. There were Old, type, Old Testament believers. There were New Testament believers. They were side by side. Um, they 120, I believe. I think I remember it was 120 at Antioch who immediately received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Then there, throughout that time, throughout the apostolic age, then they'll be laying on of hands of others, and spirit, the Holy Spirit would be coming upon them. They were, and they were crossovers. When they received the Holy Spirit, they crossed over from being Old Testament believers to New Testament believers, to church age believers. As church age believers, they, with the Holy Spirit, you receive, you are now family of God. You are the royal family of God. You are adopted as sons. You're no longer you 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 really left the the Jewish the Jew, you really left the Jewish person. I don't want to say that, but you've entered into the Christian realm. In the Christian realm, there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, nor male nor female nor slave or man. We have a position. So you enter into a position, a church age position. Your royal family of God. That's different than those going up, growing up in the old, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was the law. We'll talk about that today. There were keeping of the law. There was the, and in this age, this is what Hebrews talking about, the laying on of hands. It was time to move away from the elementary things, and we'll look at the elementary things today. What are the elementary things that that are now set behind that so many want to go back to? All right, so that was in that age. So you had, so first of all, you had the um, the Old Testament believers. Now you have the church age believers. They come. What happened? I guess my question would be, what happens if you die, um, not not receiving Christ? Because not all. Not, I'm convinced that some people would die in that age. What happens if they died without receiving the Holy Spirit? Would they be unbelievers then? Would they be unsaved? No, I don't think so. I think they would. I, I don't think they have entered into the family of God, but they would die as the Old Testament believers did. They would. They they would not they would be let me say less privileged they would not be the royal family of God and they would die as um, believers did but without but outside of the church age they would not be church age believers. What did Proverbs say? Placed lower than the, before the noble before the prince. Yeah, uh, Mike. <laughs> Okay, okay. That was a thought that came to you. So there is that conflict. We still, in the dispensational viewpoint, we must separate the ages because we still live. 
You see, as I've said before, I do not go out in the morning that I, uh, that with the full conclusion that I'm going to sin, but sin is still a problem and still an issue in our age. And it's, it's the fact is, how do we deal with it? So Paul, you know, Paul in that early age, Paul in that early age still had to deal with, um, with people, with the fact that there is the law, there is the legalistic system, there is religion that was seeking to say, do this. It, they, it was constantly trying to add on to what Christ did upon the cross. And ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you that is Christ and Christ alone that we are saved. It's through faith alone and Christ alone that we save. And don't let anybody deter you from that. And does that mean that there is no works? No, that there is works, but it's production. Works is a production. Good works is a production of a healthy spiritual life of those that are growing in the Lord. So there would be, there would be the struggle and even the question, because even today, there, even though, even today, there are those that are trying to bring us back into a legalistic system. You got to do A, B, C, and D. If you do not do these things, you are not saved. If you got to do, it's Christ plus this, this, and this, and this. The struggle goes on today as it goes on here. Our, uh, in, in context, the, the writer is addressing those believers that were, that were going back to the, the old system which did not save anyone. Let's take a look. Going back to the law. Let's go. We are in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. You are. I'm not. Let me get there. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am flesh. I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing is good that dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing is not, is not. For the good, what I want to do, I do not do. But I practice very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then that the principle, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and make me prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man am I, who will set me free from the body of death, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then, on one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. We are in the slave market of sin. We are born into the slave, oh, we may not be in, but we are born into the slave market of sin. And we have this struggle. And at, and inside, and the law, there is a moral law that also goes within our hearts that's prior to this. And we seek to be good. We seek the we seek a goodness. We seek a righteousness of our own. Even um, I was just in the in the uh, Greenville County um, jail um, over the week, and um, the inmates were in there. They were very helpful. I had I had one guy pecking on a window and trying trying desperately to get my attention that my my pocket light was on there. That um, to it, but they, but even then they are there are people and they were very friendly, and um, there's they they were seeking a seeking to be right in their own way, even though they were in a lockup. Dill, uh, Dillinger was public enemy number one, a murderer, and but when they fi- when they finally had him cornered or coming, before he went about in, in, in his way, there was a lady that he helped the lady with her groceries into the in, in, into uh, her house before he, or apartment before he went and had a shootout with the cops. So the so even the bad guys, there's a sense of morality, there's a sense of good, there's a sense of do goodism within our hearts, a sort of crusaderism. So there is a legalistic system in us that even Outside of the law, we seek that certain standard. It's called minus R. We kind of call it minus R, that which comes short of the righteousness of God. But it's our standard. And what do we call that which is short of uh, anything that comes short of God's righteousness? What do we call that? Missing the mark. Missing the mark. What's that? Armatia, which is what? Sin. And what does Paul say? Paul says anything that's not. Anything that's not righteousness is what? Sin. Pos, armatia. No. Anything that's not sin. Pos, all sin is unrighteousness. That's what he said. All sin and everything that misses the mark is unrighteousness. So even though we may be doing good to us, to meet a certain human, uh, our pastor used to call it, what did our pastor used to call it? He used to call it human good. And human good does not equal God's standard of good. And you so you see, Judaism was a legalistic system. Now, as Paul was going about, and the apostles were going about establishing uh, that faith that Christ died on the cross. He he died three days later. He rose. He rose again and ascending. He and he um, and then later he ascended into into heaven. And he's coming back, and as he's going back, there are people that had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't heard. You see, this message had to get out. They were Old Testament believers. And when asked uh, a group of people, have you? I think it was twelve of them, said, "Have you have you heard about the coming of the Holy Spirit? Have you been?" And they said, "No, we just know we just know the 
the the baptism, or you're talking about baptism. We just heard the baptism of John. And he would tell them about the Holy Spirit coming to those who who believed. They were already believers. But they were still under the legalistic system. And so that would be the struggle. The struggle is always, you know the hardest thing in a believer's life? I had to laugh. I, we were wa- watching um, one of Bob's... Um, I think it, I think it's the only one he had, but a pastor's conference, and he had, um, I lost train of thought on it where I was going, but, but I thought it was funny. If I remember, I'll tell you later. But uh, anyway, um, there is, so the hardest thing, oh, yeah, he, the, the guy, the, the speaker saying that he went and got, he called Baraka, and he said, he goes, um, I want to be ordained as a pastor, but I haven't been to seminary. And he goes, is that a problem? And uh, whoever it was, it may have been Bobby that said it. I think it was Bobby who said it, Bobby Thing. He said, he goes, we around here kind of considers that, uh, consider that as a plus, having not been to seminary. You see, one of the hardest things to do is when you've grown up under a religious system, whatever that religious system is, you're ingrained with that, um, with, if there's false teaching in there and uh, whatnot, and you're ingrained with it. How many times have we heard people say, well, this is, and as I've said before, Robert King had several people tell him, I almost had one, and I was ready to jump on him like, (laughs) I was ready to jump because I knew it was coming, but he saw me and he, he refrained from saying it. Uh, Bob, uh, but Robert actually had people say, I don't care what's in here. This is what we've always known. And you see, early in the, early, that's what the, the apostles had to deal with, was people falling away and going back to Judaism. So, on one hand, when we even today, on one hand, we have the immoral degenerates, and those are the ones that live in licentiousness. They're sinners and they don't care. They're naked and they don't care. They flaunt their sins. They don't care. Those are the immoral degenerates. But we also have moral degenerates. Those are the ones that they're good people. They might have a nice family, good marriage. They're, um, but they use their morality and they, they, they use their morality as a system of righteousness. And they claim their, their position with the Lord because they're good, good according to their standard. That's immoral. So we have a problem with sin. So we're under bondage of one of two things. We're either under bondage of sin or we're under the bondage of law. And we've been set free from both. Under that legalistic system, Judaism, that people were set free from bondage. We got here, hold your place in eight. I don't know how much more we got on it. Or seven. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians 5. And you may... Put a bookmark or something in there because we'll be coming back to it anyway. Galatians 5. Galatians 5, yeah. And coming up to that first verse, um, 
Grady, read that one for me. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Okay, go ahead and read a little bit more. See what we can dig out of that. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Stop right there. And then that's what we lend it read. And what is Paul saying? Not just, it's not just a circumcision. Uh, and he's talking about fleshly circumcision, that, that people were going back to the law. They, they were going back to circumcision. They were going back to prerequisite. And remember what Christ said. Christ said, going back again, that you cannot put new wine in the old wineskin. The old system, the old religious system was not compatible with the church age. And and matter of fact, it was never, it was never that which, and Tim, you're probably, probably yelling right now, waiting for me to get to it, or antsy when we get to it, is that the Old Testament, the Judaism, never saved anyone. And we'll, we'll get to that. So... All right. So, again, you got those who are in moral degeneracy. You got those who are in immoral degeneracy. Both of them are just as lost. Both of them are going to hell, or if they're unsaved, both of them are going to hell. Both of them are not right. Paul asked the question: Wretched man am I? Who will set me free from the body of death? Thanks. And he answers the question. He says, I like what Paul does. Was Paul actually wringing his hands and pulling his hair out and trying to figure out how to do this? No, I think he sets it up as a, um, as what we do. We have not struggled with sin. Especially when we grow close to God, we realize that I'm still, you know, um, like I said, I don't go out with the full conclusion that I'm going to sin. Peter says to be holy as God is holy, because God is holy. And so, therefore, um, when I sin, and I do, and there's nothing braggable about that. I'm, I may be going through a bad day and, um, and cranky. I mean, when, when, when y'all got wives, you know... There's going to be times when your wives are going to be in a bad mood, and they're going to they're going to mouth off at you. You're going to mouth off at them. You're going to what whatever you're going to trip from time to time. No excuse. But then you're going to recognize that's not of God, and it's going to bother you. And this is what Paul is talking about. There is that struggle. There's that struggle from day to day that we have. All right? So the question of waking up on any given morning is not how I'm going to behave that day. It's not, it's not whether or not I'm good or moral sense or live licentiously or if I live like a heathen. The question is where am I? Where am I? We're seeking to find our way home. We're seeking to come back 
And you see, these people were enslaved not only to sin. They can either be enslaved to sin or they can be enslaved to a legalistic system. Both of them are slavery. And so throughout, throughout the Bible, when you look at the Bible, even starting with man, even start with Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the first thing they did when they found out that they were sinners? Covered themselves with leaves. They covered, they they covered themselves with big leaves. That's the way, very good, Becca. That's what they did to cover up their sin and their guilt. They looked to deal with the sin problem. That was the first thing that they did in order to cover it. I would say that was the first religion. The fig leaf of religion. If I get myself right with my environment and with other people, I'll be right. And throughout the Bible, and uh, throughout the Bible, they're, they're, they've come short of, they look to get right. They're looking to get right with themselves, but each and every time they were falling short. Even in the millennium, ladies and gentlemen, and even in a thousand years where there's perfect justice, where Christ will sit upon the throne, there's going to be sin. There's going to be evil. How are they going to deal with it? So we're looking to find our way back to the system of righteousness. I I think it's like the story of Wizard of Oz, to tell you the truth. That here's a sinner. He's looking to come back home. Come back to where he had first started. Coming back to where he's righteous with God. And he's trying this and he's trying that. And, and the law was something that they were using to be right with God when it never worked. Dorothy went from, Dorothy went to Oz, or um, they, she went to Oz, she tripped out the wizard and um this failed, uh, and when the and when the wizard ended up flying away in the balloon, um, how did she find her way home? Glenda told her that look, you've always had the way home. The ruby red slippers. See, our ruby red slippers is faith. We've always had it. We had it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, believers believed in the promise of God and it was credited to them for righteousness. Who was the first one who did that? Well, record it. We know that it was probably before that. It was Noah was a righteous man. It was there. Adam and Eve. We can say Adam and Eve did it. But who does the Bible say believed and was credited to him for righteousness? Abraham. Abraham. Very good. Okay. So the question still stands to this day, very day. Will I continue until I die and go to hell to live according to the flesh? Or will I look to God to provide me the way out? We've always wanted a hand in salvation. We always wanted to say, God, get out of the way. I'll handle it. I can do this. The, the people, the people of Israel, the, the people came out of Egypt. 
they they wanted they wanted a system. He said to, they said to Moses when they were scared of God, they and God offered them grace. That grace was offered to them, and they did receive grace. I may I say that. But what they wanted was some type of system. They wanted a hand in their own salvation. They told Moses, you talk to God and, and we will do, and you tell us and we'll do what you say we'll do. The law was the means by which they could be saved. The, the law was a demonstration that man, it was a tutor, it was a demonstration that man could not live up. To the standards of God. He, it'd be like picking. See, what they want to do is pick themselves up by their bootstraps. We've heard that before. What does it mean? I do what Paul Washer said. If I'm laying on the floor, I've got my arms, I'm trying to lift myself up. And I'm straining and, and all, and I'm, I'm pulling, I got my, I'm holding on to my belt, I'm trying to pull myself up. And somebody comes in, so what are you doing? I'm trying to trying to lift myself up. But you can't do it. You need an external force to bring you up, to lift you up. You can't lift yourself up like that. And that's what we do when we use legalism, religion, and and um, this is what these people do. It was Operation Bootstraps. It was my religion. And to this day, your religion, your legalism, your this, that, your other thing, or other things, trying to add on to God. And that's what these people were trying to do, was trying to add on to what God is doing. You see, that's not faith, folks. When we say faith alone in Christ alone, if you try to add anything to faith, it's not faith anymore. You try to add anything to your salvation, you're not saved. If you and after being saved and you're trying to execute, listen, it was faith that got you saved. It was faith in Christ, faith alone in Christ alone, that you came into this new life. If you've added anything to that, if you okay, circumcision and faith or Living a good life in faith or any, it's nothing. You know what? It's not even repentance of your sins. I think we talked about that last week. It's not even repentance of your sins. Yes, you're a sinner. Your, your sorriness for your sins may have brought you to the table, but they're not part of the equation because the Lord already took care of this in, on the, um, on the cross. Sin is no longer the issue. The issue is you're going to die. What are you going to do about it? And through faith, I can't do nothing about it. Uh, I have no way. I have no way to save myself. There's nothing I bring to the table. Christ brings everything. And by believing and trusting in Him, you do have eternal life. Now, before I say anything else. Let it be known that sin is still an issue. It's still bad. But let's put it in the right categories. Let's put it into, you know, the right issue. And um, so we have a problem. 
after salvation. Who and what will save me from the power of sin? How am I going to overcome? Listen, um, those of you, and and I know you do, Michael, I, I don't know about you ladies, but uh, I know I do it. Um, I, I get frustrated. Am I right? Do you get frustrated with yourself? <laughs> you keep doing what you don't want to do. And, and maybe... And you know what? Maybe it's no big thing. Basically, we're very moral people, good people, but we see that we come short. And that frustrates us. It aggravates us. We, you know, so we, we still, we're still contending with, with those things because when you want to draw near to God, but you still see that, that, force that's within Galatians uh, 5 takes, Paul talks about that in Galatians 5, so so what's going to save me from the power of sin in my life? What's going to help me? Is it the law of Moses? Really? Really? How did that help them? Is it keeping the big ten? Is it keeping the ten commandments? Is that going to help me in my spiritual walk, in my growth with the Lord? How did it work out for the people who it was given to? Let me ask you a question. Out of all those people, how many under the law, how many of those did the law help in order to bring them out into the promised land? I would say none. I would say none. No, I wouldn't say them either. Well, I was going to say what brought them in? What, what do you think would bring faith. them into the land? Faith. Faith. Yeah. Believing. Faith. Faithful. Believing. They were faithful. They were only too faithful. The rest of them, they, they were not faithful. They were not believing. But they were people of the law. Didn't help all that multitude very well, did it? So... Would that not be demonstration enough? The law was good. Coming from God, listen, the law was perfect. God didn't give them something imperfect in the sense that it had a flaw in it. No. And and just as a side note, do we still study the law? Yes, we do. Absolutely, it's part of Scripture. We don't say, you know, uh, I don't study that. It's it's part of God's Word. We continue to to study study it. There is it's truth in there. But as far as a system of a system by which we are to grow in the Lord, no. You see, the law being perfect. But it was impossible for imperfect man to keep it. So the law of Moses, the law given on Mount Sinai was a demonstration. Not only did the people want a king. At one point, the people wanted a king. They told Samuel, we want a king. You know, they they were under a, a theocratic government, in a sense, a, a government ruled by God. And he said, we don't want that no more. We want a king like everybody else. Well, they also, it's the same way. They rejected the grace, and they we want a 
rules. We want a set of principles to live by. We want the set. We want this set of principles. So the law was actually a demonstration to us that we cannot live up. We we are sinners, and that's not an excuse. That doesn't present an excuse to us. It presents a problem. What do we do? What can be done for that for our problem? So. So where could victory be found with Brother Paul? Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. And Wally, I'm going to get you to read that one for me. Go Romans 8, 1 through 4, please. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit in life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay. When you recognize what's up, when you recognize the conflict between the law, and listen, much more is said about law here than it is with our harmatia sin. Though it's in here, once you understand what, what, they're, uh, what the apostles were up against and their conflict with the law and people still gravitating to it, You'll understand in context at Romans, you'll understand Galatians, and you'll understand Hebrews. As there are those that the law will continue to try, if, going back to that movie we saw, um, Devil's Advocate, remember that? He, he said at the beginning, the devil got him on this way. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I don't recommend the movie, but this is, you know, maybe I should have brought it up. But in one way, at the beginning, the devil got him this way. At the end, he did it another way. If the devil cannot get you through sin, he will get you through some other system um, and legalism, something that will, will bind you, everything. So you can either be bound up in legalism or you can be bound up in sin. But either way, they put... They put um, shackles on you to keep you from living the spiritual life. Under a religious system, nothing comes out of a religious system when we're looking to do for God in order that we might um, be um, might do good things for God in the sense of, you know, do this and be blessed. It's a wrong, it's wrong motives, folks. So the law could not save. The law failed to be any type of spiritual code. And I'm not against the law. I'm just saying that it's used. it was used wrongly. It was used as a substitute for the spiritual life. The law was simply a demonstration that the weakness of man could never keep the law. Let's go to Galatians 3.23.
Michael, I'll give that one to you. Um, Galatians 3.23-26. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Yes, the great faith in Christ Jesus. The question is, what is the answer to the power of sin over my life? Let's go to Romans 3.21. Yeah, absolutely. So, what you just what you just went over, Michael, it says it right there. It was a tutor. It's the classroom. The law was a classroom. And once graduation happens, hello, we move out of the classroom. When Jesus Christ came in, it was graduation day from the and and once again, this is why the law. And when we were studying the Old Testament and we're studying the law. There's wonderful things that point to Christ. They were given in shadows. They were given behind a veil uh, or you know, with a veil there. But being that we know Christ and being that we, we've seen what was done upon the cross, we can look back and we can say, wow, we can see what was taught to them. And so there's much value to learning it. But we're not under it. And um, so... Romans 3.21. I'll get this one. (coughs) But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is Jesus Christ. Hold your finger there. We're all sin. We've all come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. So therefore, there's nothing that we bring to the table that's going to justify us apart from the grace of God. And that grace is received by faith. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was, a demonst- this was to demonstrate his righteousness because his forbearance of God he passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be, a, be just and a justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Question or not, whether or not we are sinners, we are all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. Question is, how can we overcome sin and live that holy life that Peter says we are to live? Can I expect any brand of religion that's going to lift me up or any type of morality that's going to serve 
See, even in our sanctification, we are dependent upon God. And we're dependent upon the Spirit. And we're dependent upon the advantages, not our own duke-isms. In Galatians, we read Paul is dealing not with sin, but with the answer to sin. Hmm. There we go. <laughs> Let's go to Galatians 4 1. Back to Galatians. Back to Galatians again. I told you we'd be going back there. I'll read to four. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ from all the slaves, although he is owner of everything. They're both children. One child is a slave, the other child doesn't. Uh, one, and they're both equal. They're play, they jump around. They're, they're both children. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also, we, while we were children, was held in bondage under element. there's that word, elementary things of the world. Remember in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, you got to leave behind these elementary things. But when the fullness of time came, God set forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So, that we might redeem those who were under law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into the hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn your back again, look at this, to the weak and worthless elementary things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Those elementary things. What were the elementary things? The laying on of hands, the... The, the, the principles of Judaism is not that they were worthless in a sense I've told you that they're still good we don't dismiss them but they're worthless in regards to your spiritual life they, they have no power over your growing in the spirit apart from you studying it the word of God and studying these things and how they relate to Christ we're no longer laying on of hands in this age. We're no longer in the apostolic age. We're no longer looking for signs and wonders and miracles. These are all worthless things when it comes to our spiritual life. We're not looking for a legalistic system of the do's and don'ts that we can abide by. Faith got us saved. Faith continues to keep us going. Galatians 4, 9 again. For now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, which is better, we knowing God or God knowing us? Should he, should ask you a question. We know God. 
God knowing us. And God knowing us. He can't know us unless we have his righteousness. Many of us many of us can know God. All of us can know God. The important thing does God know you? Reminds me of when Jesus said This where I'm born. What's that? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Because I never knew you. So much more important that God knows us. We love because he first loved us. And he says, known by God, how is it that you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary things? This is what the writers of Hebrews saying. They're falling back. They're going back. To which you desire to be enslaved all over again. So, again, it's not just the slave market of sin that keeps us in bondage, but it's a legalistic system that we bind ourselves to. We have been set free from the law that we might look to the only thing that can save us from our failure to overcome sin, which is the grace, faith, faith by grace, that's the only way that we're going to grow. And faith comes through and hearing the word. So be advised that the law was only our teacher. And graduation day came when Jesus set us free from the law. It was the law that brought us back to faith which is the only system that works. Faith is the only system that works. And um, again, law was a demonstration that our do-goodisms, our crusaderisms, our whatever we want to put with faith doesn't work. Faith in Christ and the resurrection saved us from the greater problem of hell. And it saves us from the lesser problem of the power of sin in our lives. What I'm saying is that cross, Christ did the most when he died on the cross for us. It was faith that brought us into relationship with him. So we don't go back to a legalistic system after the cross. It did work then, it doesn't work now. Even in our lesser, uh, the biggest problem was the fact that being, we were going to hell. We were dead. What are we going to do about it? The cross took care of that. But how do we live the spiritual life? We don't go back to legalism. We go back to faith. Living by faith. Again, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Okay, so Galatians 5, 1 again, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not come subject again to the yoke of slavery. The issue here is not only sin that we are in bondage to, but it is under the system of law. So let's go back to Hebrews with me. Hebrews 6, and we'll wrap this one up. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching of Christ, Let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and from faith toward God, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened 
and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted good works. And this taste, remember that taste means you you participated or, or practiced or experienced, let's say, experienced the good works of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away from it. You've denied its power. You once said yes. That yes, you believe this. You've trusted this. You've advanced in this. You've experienced this. But now, you've, maybe through distraction, maybe through listening to false doctrine, maybe through listening to somebody else that's teaching something else that's contrary to this, and that sounds good. Whatever it is, you've stepped away from it and you've fallen away from it. And we're not talking about just, we're not talking about just a sin here and then having to rebound, having to confess those sins and get back. We, um, but we're talking about over a period of time. Transgress. Transgress. You, you've, you've regress. I would say regress. You've stepped out. You've sinned. You've you've stepped out into the darkness. And the longer you stay in the darkness, we are in danger the moment that we sin. The very moment that we sin of the tongue or mental attitude sins or um, what was it? Sins of the tongue, mental attitude sins and overt sins. The moment that we sin you lie about somebody, you punch somebody out, you um, disobedience parents, you lusted over somebody, whatever the sin is, and you're out in darkness. The longer you stay out in darkness, the more that you're going to be engulfed by that. The more that darkness starts taking over your very soul. And you set aside your spiritual priorities. And you start moving back. And you start moving back. And the longer that you stay in that darkness, you set aside your spiritual life, the harder your heart's going to be. And the harder it is to find your way back to spiritual life. You're going to be worse than someone who have never experienced it. These are people who have experienced it. Because once you've experienced you've seen that. And what, listen, I've told people in the past, I've told you in the past, if you remember it, every time that you come to Bible class and you hear God's word being spoken, you are accountable. You are more accountable than somebody who never comes to church. God's going to deal with them in a different way. But when you hear God's word and you taste it and you've experienced the spiritual life and you start growing, you are more accountable than someone who has never tasted it. These people, we have been blessed with, um, and, and God has opened our eyes to great revelation, to the word of God. If it, if it bring it down to a motherly term, you should know better. You should know better. You've been given a treasure into whom much has been given. Much is expected. And to go back to a, and maybe it's, Maybe it's going back, and what happens is 
when you drift away, when you drift away from it, for whatever reason, you will start clinging to old things. For us, for, for the Jews here, they were going back to the legalistic system of Judaism. For the unbeliever, what did they go back to? And I don't know what the passage is right off. Maybe it's something in Revelation. We go. It's like a dog. It describes it, and Paul probably says this. It's like a dog going back to its vomit. You ever see a dog go back and he throws up and he goes back and he starts, whoa, that's kind of interesting, and he starts eating his own vomit? This is what it's like for us. We've had at one point, what, how terrible is that? We have eaten the filet mignon of God's word. And God has blessed us because, you know, God has blessed us through his word and through faith and the exercise of faith. And we get, and we come to a certain degree and a certain level. And again, what, what would cause us to fall back? False teaching, false doctrine, distraction, something new that comes into your life, something more interesting, and you can set the Word of God aside for a little while. Be careful what distracts you. Whatever distracts you, expect more of it. Whatever whatever sets you off balance, whatever takes you away from God's Word, you can expect more of it. Until you come to that place where there's a locked out negative volition. Um, Pastor Tim describes it as this. You, you know in your computer and you're messing with your computer and all of a sudden it gets locked up and you get that little wheel. And that little wheel that spins around and what do you do? It's locked in there. It's He calls it an infinite loop that you're just locked in it and you can't get out of it without rebooting your computer. But ladies and gentlemen, there ain't no rebooting to the spiritual life if you get to a certain point. You're locked in. And what point is that? Is there a point of no return? Seems to see it here. Let's, let's come back to our passage. For in the first war, or in the case of those who have been enlightened, and have tasted heavenly gift, and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted good word of God and the powers of the age to come. That didn't come from the that doesn't come from the Judaistic system, but that came from the Word of God. And then have fallen away. It is impossible, impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they have crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Because what you have just done is that you said, I've been there. I've seen the cross. I know its power. I've witnessed to others. People have seen my spiritual life. And all of a sudden you fell from it. You're saying, that was a lie. Basically, you say by your actions in your life now, I believe that, but it was a lie. I've been there. I'll tell you that the word of God doesn't work. That's your testimony. And by doing that, you cause others great damage. You put, you become a stumbling block. Your own life. Do you not think that there's going to be consequences to you?
for the for the, the, the lives that you basically testified to that all of this is a lie? That's basically what you're doing because you put him to open shame. You put him back on the cross. You say, no, there's no power because your life, you say, I've been to the cross. I can tell you right now, there's no power in the resurrection. You put him back on the cross. Your sins, you're still in your sins. That's basically what you're saying. For the ground drinks up the rain and often falls on it and brings vegetation useful to those who, who, whose sake it has been tilled, receive blessing from God. What is this? We were created for good works that we should walk in them. And I love this. I really do. Our lives. The greatest blessing in our lives. The greatest blessing outside of going to heaven is to be fruitful. The greatest blessing in our lives would be coming to a place of dying grace. To come to the end of our lives and knowing that our lives counted in this life. That Christ worked through us to touch the lives of other people. Think about the people you know that have godly people that you know who's touched your lives. How about your family? How about your marriage? How about the things you've grown up? And you know, the the things we want our lives to count. I think of I, I, I think of Freddie McIntosh. Freddie McIntosh was somebody I never I never met. He died in World War II. But I'm a part of the fruit of his his ministry. Really, so are you guys. I'm a part of the fruit of the ministry of Freddie McIntosh, whom I never met, who you never met. You remember, Tim, who Freddie McIntosh was? Freddie McIntosh was the man who, um, who was the colonel's best friend, Colonel Thames' best friend. And they, he was a bomber pilot. And he he was he was going to go into the ministry after he after the war was over he was going to go into ministry he saved everybody on his bomber crew and it came a day when um, you know his plane was shot up and he was taken down he was holding that plane so that everybody else could go yeah and the only one only held holdout was the tail gunner he he still hadn't accepted Christ as savior. But everybody was out, and when when that last one was out, the tail gunner, he saw Freddie still at the at the controls holding that plane straight. He jumped out, and the airplane exploded. And that tail gunner received Christ on the way down. He said, that's what Freddie was telling me, that Christ died for me. How does that impact me? Because the, uh, because uh, Pastor Theme went into the ministry in place of Freddie. <laughs> and uh, he said that, you know, he took Freddie's place in the ministry. But there was impact. There was fruit. And that man had touched many lives and continues. And that's the fruit. Your life should count for something. And when you die and you're, you're in, 
And maybe God has given you grace to, to take the last few moments of your life. What did my life count? How did my life count for families, bringing families together and people's spiritual lives in their walk? And they may not even know it of the influence that God, that you had on their lives. Our lives should be fruitful. And finish off, you know, uh, seven again. The ground drinks the rain and often falls on it and brings a vegetation useful of those whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from it. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed. And it ends up being burned. Where does this fire take place? See, when you go back, when you fall back, then you look at the old failed system of do-goodism, of legalism, of something to make you feel good about yourself. And you think you've done this and this and this and this. Then you stand up before the Bema seat of Christ. And those works that are presented there of wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. You will have nothing to show for a life that should have been lived for him. The warning is, don't fall back. Because it's impossible to get your spiritual footing again, to press forward to the high ground. Don't fall back. Because if you fall back so far, you will never, ever regain your position. You won't die and go to hell as believers. But you will be without. And it's not just about rewards. Part of rewards is a fruit that comes out of a spiritual life touching other people's lives. I want you to, I want you guys to have the best and best, the best thing that I can do for you. Because I think about you. I want your wives to be godly wives and your families to be. I want your family to be to impact other families. I want that growth. I want that fruit. That's the greatest thing that I want in this life. That my life would be an impact, on, especially with the people that I love. And the best thing that I can do for them, for all of you, is to continue to press forward. And I lose that opportunity if I should step out into darkness to set aside my spiritual life to the point where I regress, to the point where I'll never regain that momentum. We'll close it out this morning with um, Because He Lives. I don't know what page that is. All my notes are screwed up. Anybody know what page is? I got it right here. Because uh, he lives, two thirteen.
All right. <laughs> I like it. Don't forget we have uh, uh, Tuesday night prayer meeting at 1900. If you'd like to be a part of it and you're not in the local area, uh, send me an email and I'll send you a Zoom link for it. And you can join us. And um, and then Thursday night. Not sure. I might t- pick up a new book on Thursday night. What do we want? What book we want to do on Thursday night? Philippians. No. John could coincide with John. First John. First John. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll play by ear. Um, got through the lesson today. So anyway, um, yes, yeah, Tuesday night, Thursday night, we're back on. So. Let's close out prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that we've been freed from the law. The law of a legalistic system and we are, we and the law of sin within our members. That we've been set free. That we've been given spiritual freedom. The, your son has said that knowing the truth and the truth shall set you free. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those that are in the sound of my voice that our lives will be centered around your word, walking in the spirit, growing, whereby our lives will be fruitful in the sense that it will impact other lives and those lives, other lives. Let us not live a life in vain and sin, chasing after our own lusts. And may we, Heavenly Father, when this life is over, maybe give us a few moments to reflect, like Paul did, that we might be able to say, that I've ran a good race. I fought a good fight. Now I'm ready to part the body to be at home with my Lord to receive the ground of righteousness. It's not just me, but everyone who loves his appearing. Thank you for the time that you've given us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to... Make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.